Hello and welcome back to the Nutanix Community Podcast. I'm Angelo Luciani and this is episode 42. So glad you could join me. This week, we join Wendy Pfeiffer, Nutanix CIO, and other industry thought leaders on the Argyle Executive Forum multi-cloud virtual event. They share their experiences building and implementing a successful cloud strategy. There's a lot of good strategic and tactical information in this one. Let's join the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Your Multi-Cloud Strategy, the 2017 virtual event. My name is Rhonda Lay with Argyle Executive Forum, and it's great to have everyone joining us today. I have a few administrative details to share with you, and I will turn things over to our esteemed speakers. First, we would like to thank Nutanix for their partnership with today's event. They've been a wonderful thought leadership partner to Argyle and are committed to providing you with valuable content and great overall experience. So thank you again to Nutanix. We appreciate you joining us today. We welcome you to stay connected during today's event. For those of you who are active tweeters, please use the hashtag CIOWebinar. You can also follow us on Twitter at Argyle Exec Forum, and be sure to join our LinkedIn group, CIO-CISO Forum. I also wanted to take a brief moment to touch on our content neutrality policy, which we've curated based on the feedback we've received over the years from our members. Argyle is very proud and protective of this policy as it reflects our commitment to ensure the neutrality and overall value of the content presented at our events. We've worked closely with our speaking faculty to ensure that you receive a set of balanced and neutral viewpoints during the session today, and we appreciate our members' support of this policy. We'll also be sending a brief feedback survey to you following the event, and we'd greatly appreciate your feedback as it helps us to make sure we are always improving your experience. If you have any immediate feedback, please don't hesitate to reach us at feedback at argyleforum.com. We also have a sampling of upcoming Chief Information Officer Leadership Forums that may be of interest to you. Chicago, September 12th. New York, September 27th. Toronto, September 27th. San Francisco, October 26th. Boston, December 7th and Atlanta, December 12th. Finally, and most importantly, please submit any and all questions that come up during today's event into the Q&A section of the interface. Following the panel discussion, we have set aside time for our speakers to weigh in on these questions. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Wendy Pfeiffer, Chief Information Officer at Nutanix. We're pleased to have Wendy with us to deliver opening remarks. Welcome, Wendy. Over to you. Great. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today, and I'm really pleased to be here and have a chance to share with our wonderful panelists and with all of you. So our topic is uh, multi-cloud strategy, and uh, I thought maybe I could start by just sharing some of my thoughts uh, and the things that I've uh, experienced uh, in, in my multi-cloud strategy. Right now, I'm the CIO of Nutanix. Previous to Nutanix, I was the CIO at GoPro, and before that had similar leadership roles at Robert Half, uh, 
and at Yahoo, and even way back in, in history at Cisco Systems. So I've had a, a experience in lots of clouds and have really enjoyed um, this uh, journey that we've been on with cloud. Um, you know, way back when, um, a decade ago, uh, most of us really only had to deal with a single cloud, or we'd make a choice about the cloud, whether it was uh, public or private that we were in, and then after that, that would drive all of our decisions. So, um, you know, that was, that was then. So now, though, um, especially as IT leaders, um, we are really having to master this notion of multi-cloud. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, from my perspective, what's been driving that trend. You know, there are um, some good reasons and some bad reasons for uh, multi-cloud, having a multi-cloud strategy or needing to have a multi-cloud strategy. Um, the good reasons, they're, they're sort of mom and apple pie for IT generally, right? Um, it's obviously uh, minimizing the risk of data loss, minimizing the risk of downtime, um, you know, just having your eggs in more than one basket. Um, of course, there are folks who uh, need different clouds to improve performance, perhaps page load times or uh, dealing with local or regional access challenges that um, having um, you know, clouds in, in different geographic positions uh, can address. Or uh, improving search engine performance, um, having lots of pathways in uh, to your content sometimes can help to improve uh, just people's ability to find your content. Um, you know, the one that matters a lot to me is avoiding vendor dependency uh, and, you know, ultimately improving my ability to negotiate uh, by essentially being able to say, well, hey, I'm not dependent on you. I can always go to another vendor or I, I'm already operating with another vendor. And, and you know, also, um, we need to use appropriate clouds for appropriate tasks. So. Um, you know, many of us, we use public cloud for internet or consumer-facing transactions, private cloud for data-intensive or secure transactions, um, hybrid cloud for mixed use, um, or, you know, just looking for the cheapest solutions for different workloads. On the other hand, there are also some bad reasons that we have um, to manage multi-clouds or even to um, build a strategy. Um, a lot of times a non-IT department maybe adopted something in a different cloud and now I need to manage it or secure it or operate it. Um, or, you know, sometimes when I first started out, it seemed cheaper and faster to build or consume services in whichever cloud was most appropriate. Um, you know, recently, uh, Snapchat, Snap went public and we got to take a look at their um, financials along with the public offerings and, you know, what I was able to see is uh, they're spending about $450 million a year on uh, public cloud, about $400 million on uh, AWS and $50 million on Google Cloud. And, you know, you think about when they started out, I don't think they expected to be making that much, uh, to be spending that much um, on public cloud. Um, but, you know, at least in 2016, the year they went public, they were spending more on public cloud than, they, than their annual revenues. 
And so sometimes we start out in a new and shiny place and then, you know, realize, well, um, we have some decisions to make, whether those are around cost or, or code base or whatever that might be. So acknowledged we've, we've got that cloud and I sort of, uh, you know, talked through some of those, um, those good and bad reasons. You know, um, ultimately, infrastructure as a service, it, it offers some unique benefits, but also some unique challenges. Um, so if we look at, um, you know, traditional IT, um, there's, there's some history there, right? Um, initially, public offerings from AWS and Google, I, I think you all kind of remember, they had that consumer tech feel. So management features, security features, seemed kind of like an afterthought compared to on-premise technologies. And I remember my teams saying, well, you know, yeah, we've got a couple things running uh, up in public cloud. At the time, we were in AWS. But, you know, we still, we can't do archiving the way that we need to. Um, there, there aren't the, you know, journaling isn't available. Um, we're struggling with some of the um, ability to monitor, et cetera. Um, you know, that was so five years ago because really all of the offerings have matured um, and IBM and Microsoft and Oracle's entrance into the market really have pushed this, this enterprise feature parity in public infrastructure as a service to be closer to, to private cloud. But there are still uh, some IT people who come from a more traditional background um, who have these long memories. and. You know, they, they'll add to the conversation, well, there have been some very notable public cloud outages. And so, you know, there's still sort of that old school group of, of us who are saying, well, you know, public cloud, it's not as reliable, it's not as secure, et cetera. In fact, you know, that's really not the case anymore. Um, there are some amazing features, uh, you know, around security management, monitoring, et cetera in public cloud, and in fact, I might add, I think even the pace of innovation in public cloud is, is driving those advances perhaps even uh, more dramatically than uh, the, the work that's happening in private cloud. Um, you know, another challenge, though, for uh, companies is, I guess we'll call it um, DevOps teams. And so, you know, composing code to run on public cloud for many companies is still a different process than composing our code to run on premise. So, uh, you know, there's there's some some common threads. Uh, public cloud requires inclusion of infrastructure layers in the application build code. And so, um, you know, I often hear companies saying, well, you know, my infrastructure teams, they can't script, they can't code. Um, they're, you know, they're not developers and I often hear, you know, software developers saying like, well, we, you know, we don't want to be worried about the infrastructure. And so this sort of DevOps notion has come that says, you know, we've got, um, we can, we can, you know, compose uh, infrastructure as code. However, if you have composed infrastructure as code, uh, the way that many um, companies that started in public cloud have, then um, it's actually hard to go the other direction. It's hard to go uh, more in that hybrid direction with that same set of code. Um, another challenge is that um, cost-effective public cloud requires the ability for application processes and the infrastructure under layers, uh, layers underneath 
to be essentially torn down when they're not in use and to be recomposed quickly when they're needed. And so that's, that's sort of a different notion, um, you know, for people who write code and also people who uh, create infrastructure. Um, but essentially, um, you know, if you have very flexible instances that can be decomposed and composed relatively quickly, you have access to cheap public cloud. But if you need reserved instances, if you need instances to remain up, to remain running, well, that's a more expensive model. And in many cases, the, the cost is you know, very comparable to something that might run um, in a hosted or on-premise uh, data center. Um, the last bit is, you know, and this is something that I re recall learning a few times uh, before I really got it in, in my career, um, is that public cloud resiliency is achieved not through system perfection uh, like we do in, in our private data centers and, and our private um, clouds, but it's through hypersensitive failover and unlimited compute resource. And so people who have only written code for cloud um, they're not they're not building uh, you know fault checking um, and fault tolerance into the code itself. What instead what they're doing is is we're monitoring to see if um, there are challenges that the code is uh, is uh, putting on resources. And for example, if there's a memory leak that begins to consume more than its fair share of resources, well instead of going back and spending the three weeks or four weeks of coding to, to find and address that memory leak, we may just, in public cloud, um, create some monitors that say, hey, when a certain percentage of, of system resources being consumed, we'll just wipe out that instance and recompose a fresh one, and, and the code will continue to run. And so that's a very different model and a very different philosophy, and it just uh, sort of leads to some of the challenges with uh, portability. Um, you know, it's also the case that there are really, really different architectures, um, you know, across clouds. So not just at that code layer, but also at the um, the sort of the how we compose the infrastructure layer and the components that are in those layers as well. And so, for example, um, you know, may, I, I may be heavily using um, my Cisco engineers in my private cloud or across a, um, a hybrid or distributed cloud, but uh, may not even need those skill sets when it comes to public cloud. And so, there's sort of that that. Um, just a different mindset and a different way that we're um, composing and calling all of the layers. So, so that kind of brings us to the last component that drives us for, to a need for strategy, and that's just our multi-cloud integration challenges um, generally. So I think, first of all, um, you know, cloud vendors are sadly continuing the tradition of on-premise vendors by building and supporting proprietary or at least different technologies. You know, so for example, I mean, hopefully these are things, you know, that, that you're all familiar with. I'm stating the obvious, but, um, you know, AWS, it, it has a distinctly Linux uh, bias. It's, it's, you know, it's Linux at the core. On the other hand, if you're running in Azure, obviously, um, sometimes a little painfully, it's, it's uh, Microsoft Windows-based. Um, 
you know, software portability or bet between or among multi-clouds, it's virtually unavailable at the code level with some notable exceptions, but certainly, um, you know, we do have some challenges with uh, code that we've uh, created to run um, particularly in one cloud or to call functions in a particular cloud. Um, now, you know, in IT, uh, we are uh, approached by many SaaS vendors who, who seek to um, obviate this challenge by attempting to offer these all-in-one, um, you know, all-necessary services with one platform. But in my opinion, um, ultimately, these monolithic platforms, um, at, a, at a minimum, they're expensive, and they're expensive to continue to contain, uh, to continue to build. They're complex, but ultimately as well, um, there are multiple less than ideal components that sort of make their way into the code base and, and our usage. Um, the last thing is is also a challenge, and uh, throughout my career, it's been uh, it's not the most complex challenge, but in many ways, it's the most time consuming and the the more, most resource consuming. And that is that um, IT professionals and I guess just human beings generally, uh, we tend to be um, you know technology centric. Um, multi cloud skills are really really scarce. And um, we just con continue to struggle with that, you know, especially when you get someone who is um, truly capable. I'll find that that person is, um, you know, gets some joy out of getting, you know, all the VMware certifications or that Cisco CCIE or, um, you know, the, the, the AWS certs or whatever it might be. And so there's that, you know, that sense of ownership and pride in the really good um, uh, technology professionals. And, and there's there's still a challenge there. So uh, I just want to share um, my multi-cloud strategy, um, having having lived through um, you know all of these challenges for a number of years. Um, here's what my multi-cloud strategy contains, given all of those inputs. First of all, um, it's important to maintain an inventory of workloads of all the workloads that I am running or that I expect to run. With their characteristics, is this is this Linux based? Is this a proprietary, um, commercially uh, written software, etc.? Um, and also the planned characteristics over time. Where is this workload moving over time? Is there a, a roadmap? You know, for example, ERP applications tend to just run. There isn't really a a need to um, update or replace um, core ERP technology every year, and it's, it's, a, it's a beast to do that. Um, on the other hand, when we're looking at some of the innovations in uh, collaboration applications, it might make sense every six months or so to understand what's, what's current and what's out there. Um, secondly, just an inventory of available clouds uh, aligned to um, well, well, complete with a rating on how they handle the characteristics of each of my workloads. So perhaps I'm already consuming Azure because I have O365. I may be consuming AWS. I've got my own on-prem. Maybe I've got some SaaS applications. And just understanding on my thoughts and my team's thoughts on how they're handling the characteristics of each workload and really pricing models as well. Um, and then this is really important. Uh, these next two things, we need 
a plan, a tool set, and a person for tracking and managing costs across all of these uh, mediums. And then a plan, a tool set, and a person for managing and securing the data. Um, data continues to be a challenge for us um, because you know, we're still in the mode of setting one policy and then figuring out how to apply that policy across the multiple different clouds where, where we're dealing with data. And in fact, clouds, um, you know, deal with data differently, access differently, et cetera. And then um, ultimately, we need an active mechanism for dynamically applying uh, clouds to workloads as the workload characteristics dictate. So this implies um, purpose-built apps and code sets that run anywhere. Um, and so, you know, if you have the luxury of writing your apps and your code from, from scratch, um, you, you would do well in a multi-cloud world to ensure that the code that you're writing runs anywhere. Um, or alternatively, uh, a core cloud operating system <clears throat> that can run anywhere and serve all the workloads and all the apps, even those that were not purpose-built for multi-cloud. Or finally, if uh, you, you don't have the luxury of either one of those things, then a large and skilled team who perform these tasks as dictated by your constantly monitored conditions. Um, you can see in all three of those these cases, there's some investment, there's some money, but you need one of those three or some combination uh, really to enact this strategy. And, and so um, ultimately, um, you know, when they go high, we've got to go low as, as CIOs. Basically, details count, folks. Um, as an owner of a multi-cloud environment, I have got to um, understand at a, at a detail level what's happening and leverage the, the detail and the data to, uh, to enact my strategy. So I need these three essentials. I need monitoring and management tools, whether homegrown or commercial, and they need to span uh, on-premise and public clouds. And if I'm doing anything less than that, then it's expensive and I'm missing things. Uh, secondly, data movement uh, among clouds needs to be supported dynamically with code and tools and common data structures, but the key there is that, that it needs to be supported dynamically. Um, and a lot of times uh, we struggle with that, whether because of our security constraints or, or other uh, items. Um, and then, you know, team members need to be able to compose infrastructure as code, and cloud infrastructure must be composed like on-prem infrastructure if I want to swing workloads dynamically. So a common OS is extremely helpful for that. You know, though, without these those three basics, um, multi-cloud is kind of um, a, an expensive and complicated trap. It sounds good at a high level, but it's impossible to support on the ground if, you, if you're not um, cognizant of all of these areas and constantly watching them. So, um, you know, that's sort of the, the intro, at least just sharing my perspective on multi-cloud and uh, appreciate um, everyone listening. And now I thought what I would do is um, move to 
engaging our panel participants. And so um, to start, I just wanted each of us to uh, introduce ourselves so those of you who are listening in the audience have an opportunity to know um, the esteemed members of our panel. So uh, Robert, why don't you kick off the introductions, please? Sure. Thanks, Wendy. My name is Robert Doty. I'm the Vice President of Infrastructure here at ServiceMaster. Um, you know, the, the reason that this was an extremely appealing event for me, um, number one, is because um, a lot of what Wendy just presented, and Wendy did a fantastic job of, of doing that, a lot of this uh, that you just presented is something that we are either going through or have gone through. So I appreciate the uh, the time in the next hour or so for us to, to collaborate and, and share some of our uh, challenges and successes. Great. John? Hi. Uh, this is John Kester. I'm the CISO at HD Supply. Um, we, too, are, are challenged with some of these uh, obstacles and, and migrations um, that Wendy uh, talked about. Um, and from the security side of things, um, you know, our goal is to be an enabler, not a disabler. So how we approach uh, the multi-cloud strategy is, is extremely important to manage risk versus cost versus efficiency. Thank you, John. Dahlia? Uh, this is Dahlia Powers. I'm uh, the divisional uh, CIO and CTO uh, for Consumer Auto Finance with Capital One. Uh, we've gone full-fledged um, with a um, uh, cloud strategy and uh, public cloud, actually. Uh, so it's uh, really uh, going to be a very uh, important discussion for us as we uh, push and pull on some of the pros and cons of uh, the multi-cloud strategy approach. Great. Thank you, Dahlia. Duke? Hi there. Uh, my name is Duke Trin. I'm the Vice President uh, uh, for Innovation and Emerging Technologies um, at Wells Fargo. Um, what uh, this really means is that we simply get to play with new toys, break a lot of things, and have a get-out-of-jail card, so to speak, um, to uh, uh, still get away with, uh, with stuff. Um, but you know, and we are, like many of my fellow panelists, we are going through a cloud transformation exercise as well. Um, and, you know, especially in my area, we, we the agility and the ability to be nimble to get things done is of utmost importance. So, um, you know, but that needs to be balanced against, like, the risk that, uh, you know, uh, the company is willing to take on. So we are very much uh, knee-deep in this, uh, this journey. Great. Well, thank you, Duke. Um, I think Duke has the coolest job. He got to use the word play. <laughs> I'm jealous. So um, <laughs> let, me, let me kick things off um, and, and just kind of um, set the stage for the rest of our discussion. Panelists, I'd, I'd love uh, maybe just to go through one by one and just if you can briefly tell us um, how are you uh, – or your organization, how is your organization building and implementing a successful cloud strategy? So maybe just tell us where you are in terms of uh, your usage of multi-cloud and, and where you see that going. And Robert, maybe we can start with you. Sure, yeah. Um, so here at ServiceMaster, we have, uh, we are using um, two on what I consider on-prem data centers, and we have cloud partnerships with two of the major cloud players. Um, what drove us to that particular setup, um, we did a lot of things wrong initially, and we realized that, and, and so we, we kind of hit the reset button 
and moved to um, similar, I think, what you were describing was we built a coalition, and we realized this isn't an infrastructure play. It's not just an applications play. It's, you know, an infrastructure, applications, finance, business units. It really is, um, you know, it, it's not a single player in that, in that team. It's a, it's a, it's a coalition of those folks. So, so we grabbed, um, some of the forward thinking individuals from each one of those teams and, and created the cloud coalition. That team, um, put together the strategy that Service Master is in the process of implementing. That strategy is built very much so on a, on a framework of, of questions that help lead our engineers, architects, administrators into, you know, when is the appropriate time to use the cloud? When do we use each one of our clouds? Do we use, um, you know, we use AWS? Do we use um, Google? Do we use Microsoft? Or do we uh, leave it on one of our on-prem data centers? And so that, that framework is literally a series of questions that the engineers and architects go through. And at the end of that series of questions, it lands them into, you know, the, the thought pattern of this is where you reside. And that's driven based off of the user experience, who's going to be using this application or tool set, where those users reside, what other applications does it integrate with. And so it's a, it's a relative comprehensive um, set of questions that, that get us down to that answer. Um, doesn't mean that it answers every single question. It's always perfect right out of the gate, but um, that's where that team constantly is reviewing um, you know, where, where we're at with our strategy, what are the challenges or pitfalls we've found uh, in moving towards there. I, I like your other uh, important piece with kind of the, the multi-cloud strategy of uh, common operating environments. Standardization was a huge thing for us. Uh, you know, we, we literally built Snowflake servers and Snowflake applications uh, up to the point where we really got serious about a, a cloud strategy, and, and that forced a lot of standardization across our enterprise. So that has helped us move uh, much faster and, and, and being able to adopt a, an overall cloud practice. Got it. So coalition and, and learning. Uh, John, what about you? Um, how, how, is, how are you and your team building and implementing um, a successful cloud strategy. And I, I realize you've got the CISO role, so if you um, want to focus on, um, you know, cybersecurity as, as an important element, we'd, we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you mentioned shiny new cloud, Wendy, in your presentation, and um, and a lot of times in security we're, we're trying to assess the risk associated with those shiny new things. Um, so a lot of my role, though, um, is is about risk, right, and, and advising on the better security choice, but that security choice isn't always the sensible option for our business. Um, we have several business units, um, all with distinct needs, uh, different workforce styles where people, uh, a large percentage of our associates never even come onto our network. And so um, cloud services are one of the few ways that we get to serve them, touch them, um, and aid them in, in making revenue for the company. Um, I had mentioned earlier about uh, trying to be an enabler where possible, and and how we do that um, is we leverage tools and processes to mitigate or eliminate the risk. And then for our residual risk, the things that we can't address, um, we try to quantify that in some kind of monetary value to allow the business to make smart decisions about our strategy. Um, you know, today we are a hybrid environment, um, you know, the amount of services uh, that we have in the private cloud and in the public cloud varies over time. 
based on how our workforce and our business units needs change. Um, you know, I can talk a little bit about the capabilities, uh, the security capabilities that assist in, in helping to construct our strategy. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's two primary things that security folks need to be focused on with, with any cloud strategy uh, design or revamp, and that's um, a strong vendor assessment process um, uh, and mapping the data that you're going to share with cloud providers. Uh, and then also um, a strong security contracts team that that uh, our security minded contracts team uh, to help make sure that the contracts are written as much in our favor as as uh, as it could be, and that um, that we get support for breaches when we need it. Mhm, mhm, makes sense. Um, maybe we'll have some time to talk about some of the the key certifications as well. Um, uh, in, in the next couple rounds. So, so Dahlia, um, what about for you? How are you and your team building and implementing a successful cloud strategy? Yeah, so uh, our decision to move to a public cloud is actually uh, a part of a broader uh, change that we're adopting at Capital One. Uh, we're basically uh, changing our entire operating model. Uh, so as we thought about, uh, you know, uh, how our digital innovation can disrupt the banking sector, uh, we uh, went through a process of reimagining our uh, IT organizational model, our development approaches, and uh, our delivery processes. And it became apparent mm -hmm. to us that uh, using uh, the public cloud was going to become uh, a key enabler for us. Um, things that uh, we invested in heavily from machine learning, real-time analytics, uh, and so forth um, really benefited a lot from uh, the quote-unquote infinite resources of, a, of the public uh, cloud. Um, so we went through um, a transformation where we hired thousands of engineers uh, with um, skill sets that are more uh, aligned to DevOps models, uh, we've uh, started building uh, a lot of uh, our archite architecting our applications differently. Uh, so we are uh, building them as reusable microservices and uh, using open source, uh, which helps us also um, in um, a cloud uh, in our cloud strategy and with controlling our costs. And we adopted a cloud-first approach to all new development. Uh, so instead of um, thinking about uh, how you architect your applications as an afterthought, this was what we led with with any new development, is how can you build your applications uh, with infrastructure as code, how do you make them uh, fall tolerant, um, and uh, we've started realizing um, a lot of the benefits. Uh, so our shift to the cloud has been really important in uh, building uh, speed and agility for our teams, and uh, we're able to um, much faster react to customers' need and changing uh, and evolving uh, customer experiences. Um, and we think that the cloud uh, transformation that uh, we've gone through has been uh, just uh, tremendous in enabling us to transform our business. Excellent. Um, I don't know if any was anyone else thinking what's in your wallet, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very AWS. And and so Duke, last but not least, uh, would you like to share your uh, how you're building and implementing a successful cloud strategy? Uh, 
Oh, the, I think a, a lot of the stuff, the, the strategies and tactics that we are employing is actually have been covered by um, my fellow panelists. But I, I think the thing that I would add is the, a core component of our strategy, given that we're a little bit more conservative as an organization and, and you know, we, we've grown essentially over a long period of time by, you know, assimilating, you know, other banks and, you know, bringing on, you know, many uh, application portfolios, right? So our environment is very heterogeneous. So part of what uh, we do is uh, in order to kind of make that jump is we have a very rigorous um, assessment process that we we apply to uh, kind of understand the current state of our applications, right? Like make sure to see which one is, uh, you know, uh, Cloud ready. Um, if if they are not, what would it take to actually make it cloud ready? Um, you know, obviously some of the newer applications that we have, stuff that are greenfield, we are employing exactly what Davia mentioned. You know, building a robust uh, microservices-based architecture, making use of SOA and some of the modern application best practices, right? But the, the yeah, for the legacy stuff, uh, I think it's. Uh, it's an ongoing challenge because sometimes when you have a legacy application, there might be security remediation that you need to uh, basically work through before um, you get it to a state where you're comfortable enough to actually, you know, transfer that, uh, if you will, to the cloud. So um, I think a lot. We're very much. Um, I, I can definitely appreciate and relate to a lot of the stuff that Robert, John, and, and Dahlia has already covered. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, you know, I think we've touched on this, uh, just decision criteria. When, when do you, you know, how are you deciding when to leverage public cloud services and when not to? Now, Robert, you mentioned a checklist. Could you share some of the, the key elements in that checklist? Maybe that, that could uh, inform others who are trying to make similar decisions, when to use, when not to? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The, uh, so the, the primary drivers um, of when and when and where are the application readiness, and, and the, the team kind of hit on that uh, earlier. You know, if we aren't looking as part of our overall transformation to to lift and shift, you know, old legacy apps out to the cloud, the, this is absolutely part of our overall transformation. So, um, you know, the things that we are pushing to the cloud are cloud ready. Um, they are already built with the microservice technologies. They are um, you know, restful in their uh, interfaces. And, and so from a natural perspective, those lend themselves to the cloud. You know, we're pushing to the, to the notion of we're doing uh, mainly containers in the cloud now. We try to not even uh, spin up servers or, or compute out there. Um, the, the only thing that I'll say, and John would probably like this, um, that, that we've now, even if they are ready, if an application is ready, that we don't necessarily move out there just yet, is things um, that are either PCI or heavy SOX-related items. Uh, we tend to uh, err on the side of caution there with our with our security partners and leave those in our on-prem because um, we still have that comfortable feeling of of kind of the the wall of our firewalls and and the internal controls we have um, as we mature in our cloud controls. Um, you know, by, by putting additional, you know, cloud enterprise security uh, out there, um, we, we're, we're lacking that a little bit. But for the most part, um, you know, if it contains any sort of PCI information, 
or any sort of uh, socks challenges for us. We, we leave those on-prem. And I do like that, Robert, by the way. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be the dissenting voice. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. Uh, so um, we actually uh, believe uh, that anything can go to the cloud if it's well architected and we can meet our security standards. So having said that, we developed a lot of um, in-house um, controls uh, to make sure uh, that we are very comfortable with p putting uh, data in the cloud. Uh, so we are not gating um, things uh, going to the cloud based on criticality of, you know, how critical the data uh, or sensitive the data is, uh, but rather on how uh, the applications uh, are built uh, for the cloud and for the security models um, uh, in the cloud. So we've gone through, for instance, um, SOC certification of applications in the cloud. We have uh, some of our critical banking and, and carding, uh, card applications already uh, running um, in the cloud. Um, and um, we've gone, uh, you know, uh, through a lot of work with AWS and the regulators to be very comfortable uh, with that. That, that right, Ahead, I'm sorry, Wendy, go ahead. Um, I was going to say that's interesting because uh, the two of you have described vastly different risk appetites within your environment, right? Um, and and me, I'm a fan of keeping PCI and SOX on-prem, but we still do have a lot of critical data and services that reside in a public cloud. Uh, for us, some of the uh, differentiators uh, for providers have been the SOC 1 and 2 ISO certifications. Um, there's even a handful of cloud security certifications that organizations can can get, and sometimes that helps to um, to lower the the risk appetite. Um, my background, I've served uh, you know running cybersecurity programs for the Department of Defense, and even a few years ago, there was no option for public cloud. They would not, could not do it. Um, and now they are moving in that direction because there are security capabilities that have been developed to allow them to um, lower their risk appetite in certain situations. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, being, you know, um, in the banking industry, we're very highly regulated and very, very sensitive to protecting our uh, users' data. So uh, we've gone through a lot of certifications and put checks and balances to make sure that we're very secure. Yeah, I think from my perspective, um, you know, personally, I'm of the same mindset as Dahlia. I think that uh, from a security capabilities and just pure capabilities perspective, I, I think everything can, can go to the cloud. Um, that being said, you know, uh, uh, what I think personally, it, it's oftentimes it's, it's uh, different or you know, from an organizational perspective, it's not there yet, right? So I think uh, organizationally, um, it's uh, it's more along the lines of what John and Robert um, um, have shared in that, you know, I think for the mission-critical, highly sensitive um, applications, uh, we tend to like to keep those in-house, right? And uh, for folks who are looking at uh, starting, uh, going through their cloud journey, you know, maybe they start out with, you know, the dev and test workloads, you know, the lower tier applications, um, that type of stuff. Um, but, yeah. 
that would be my yeah, kind of my two cents. Yeah, and Duke, that that is what you described. There is pretty much what we are going through at Service Master, right? The the, the long term strategy uh-huh. is we we don't want to be in the data center business, right? But we are just not mature enough as an overall organization to to have made the leap um, for for the uh-huh. particular uh, data criticality. So um, it is That's on right. the future roadmap. We're just uh, we're just not uh, we're just not ready for that yet. Uh-huh. You know, um, you said to me that's interesting um, to me, Robert, which is, uh, you know, I I would say even as recent as three years ago, um, wherever I worked, we had that same strategy to move, to not be in the data center business anymore, to move completely to uh, public cloud. Um, Now I would say I'm firmly in the camp of my strategy is to remain multi-cloud to remain in uh, my you know private cloud where it makes sense and to have those capabilities and to at the same time have capabilities for um, public cloud and not just one uh, because I, I feel that I've I've sort of I've started applying that portfolio management approach right there are some financial benefits to being able to to swing there are some uh, operational benefits. Um, and, it, and it just sort of seems, you know, I, I don't know that I would build a new data center from scratch anymore, but, um, you know, I certainly make use of the mix and I, I relish making use of the mix. I like having all those tools in the toolbox, uh, which sort of leads me to, to ask, um, you know, um, how are the rest of you finding that right balance? between, you know, and it's a, it's a fiscal question as well, between renting or owning cloud infrastructure? Um, you know, are, are you looking at cost models? Um, is it back to your checklist, Robert? What, what, are, what do you think? Yeah, it, uh, for us, cost is a, is a driver of it for sure, right? If, if it is a, you know, if, if it can be truly consumed as a service and we don't have to, um, you know, we, we kind of, Pay for consumption. That is a big driver for us to actually push to the cloud. Um, you know, for us, we, we are uh, made up of cyclical businesses. Uh, so, you know, American Home Shield is one of our subsidiaries. Terminix is another. Those two are, are very much, you know, summertime, very busy, and then it kind of tails off in fall and gets busy again in the winter. And so, um, you know, we try not to to build the church for Easter and Christmas. We try to pay by consumption and leverage uh, the financials that we have to be able to do that. Uh, again, I'll say we, we haven't done a fantastic job at this. We are getting better uh, as we go. Um, the, the play for us for cloud adoption was really more agility than, than a financial impact. So we have the ability to expand and contract based off the needs of our business. And so, you know, that, that was the, the, the initial play um, when I was talking with our CEO and CFO. Um, subsequently, we've been able to show that, and now it is trying to find that, that right balance and, and understanding, you know, what has to go out there, what can go out there, and what can't go out there, and then making sure that we're just, you know, we're appropriately placing it there. Very, yeah, very much agreed. Um, I, think, I think, Wendy, this is kind of a difficult question in that there's, I, I think there's no right balance um, since uh, 
it's likely going to vary from one you know company to another, right? Or even like a line of business within a large organization. Um, so, uh, but I think the the couple of observations that I would make is is uh, you know you definitely have to do your homework, you have a detailed understanding of the workloads that you uh, that you're running currently, right, within your line of business. Um, you know, develop uh, uh, a robust uh, cost estimation model so that you can you can kind of size you know how much the, this is going to cost you. Um, but you know, I think the other observation that uh, based on Kind of like the preliminary uh, work that we've done is, uh, you know, the, the the public cloud is probably pretty good for for, for us uh, to kind of run you know, batch processing job stuff that are, you know, have uh, applications that have burst demands, uh, for example. Um, you know, that, that way, I think uh, Robert touched on this, and that uh, as you scale and and uh, and uh, need to ramp up, you can actually spill that uh, those uh, those um, those things out to the cloud on an as-needed basis. Uh, like uh, if there's a, let's say there's a massive refinance storm, for example, and you need to scale those applications, you you can rapidly employ uh, cloud uh, capacity. Yep. Yeah, and then on the other hand, Dahlia, I, I guess I would be interested, you know, it sounds like for you it was a whole scale um, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I, I don't love this a lot, but digital transformation. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah. So how did was was, was there a, a was it agility? Was it cost? What was dro what drove this this transformation? Uh, so it was more around uh, agility, agility in acquiring infrastructure, agility to uh, get scale where our business was uh, cyclical, and also um, uh, allowing our developers to focus on uh, the uh, applications and, and um, what really moves the business. And, and um, worry less about um, things like stability in our data center. Um, so we uh, we actually are primarily um, on AWS. Uh, however, we do have also a multi-cloud strategy, um, but it's mainly for uh, uh, the data piece of it, not necessarily um, for um, uh, running uh, workloads. And uh, we decided, um, you know, to rent and uh, to basically uh, take advantage of um, the economies of scale that we're getting on, on AWS from a cost perspective. Uh, having said that, we do continue to develop the muscle about how we can optimize our costs further. Uh, so um, as an example, we've developed policies that would decompose our non-production environments. Uh, and um, spend them back up on, on schedules. Uh, we're also looking um, at things like using uh, uh, Lambda functions as well as reserved instances uh, for production. Uh, so I don't think we've cracked um, uh, the secret sauce yet for cost optimization uh, on, on AWS, but we're working um, uh, on it uh, at the moment. Great. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on uh, that we were talking about earlier is the, the value of certifications, uh, particularly for uh, public cloud uh, vendors. So I've sort of been, you know, at a minimum asking uh, to see the SOC 2 certification, um, sometimes SOC 1. Um, 
but I have to admit I, I, I struggle with some of this. What about SOC 3? Any any thoughts uh, for us, John, on you know what are the the basic certs that we should be looking for, um, and also if we're if we're um, hybrid, if we're on prem and and partially using uh, a public cloud, should we try to achieve that same level of certification uh, internally so that we're at the same you know we're using the same standards across uh, internal and public? Those are great questions. Um, so first, the, the certifications and attestations for uh, public cloud providers. Um, I think when they have them, that for us in our process, that answers a slew of security questions. However, depending on the workload that we're going to give them or the data that we store there, um, sometimes that certification isn't enough. Um, we will also schedule meetings with them to, to review uh, some basics and ask you know, questions to get a good feel for, you know, how robust their security program really is. Um, with that being said, if they lack those certifications, that isn't, um, that isn't a deal breaker for us. It just extends the period of time and the level of effort that we invest um, ensuring that, that they have what's required to make us comfortable um, with any risk involved with, uh, with moving our services there. Um, you know, I've even gone to the point of actually doing screen shares with a provider, um, you know, so that they can show me documentation. They weren't comfortable handing it over, but that doesn't mean that I, I can't review it with them uh, to make sure that, that uh, you know, they provide enough evidence to give, a um, you know, a good feeling that they're doing the right things. Um, uh, internally, um, I don't know that it, achieving those certifications would be uh, necessarily worthwhile. However, um, the frameworks are, for a lot of these are, are published, right? And, and and most security frameworks have very similar controls. They're all sort of based on the same concepts. Um, I think uh, knowing your security maturity uh, internally is key, period. Um, you have to know where you stand and where your weaknesses are so that you can uh, develop a roadmap to get better in the areas that matter. Um, but I, I would think that uh, your security teams could could speak the same language, so to speak, with the with the cloud providers, whether they're SOC one and two, or um, or they have an ISO certification, et cetera. Great. Well, um, you know, uh, I, I understand um, that there have been um, a number of folks asking questions, and I thought now might be a good time to. Uh, um, to turn to some audience questions. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Thank you, Wendy. Um, first question from the audience. How do you get application developers to rethink their philosophy in trusting the resiliency at the infrastructure layer and cloud services versus coding the resiliency within applications? Maybe I can lead off and, and say that I've seen two methods. Um, uh, so um, I'll, I'll use Netflix as an example. Netflix famously, uh, when they moved to public cloud, um, dismissed, uh, you know, let go uh, a few hundred of their internal IT folks and, and hired new folks um, because they had a need for speed. And um, essentially, there was this notion that um, you know people think differently, and and we, they needed to find folks who um, you know had this this more um, 
you know, this this idea of not having to build resiliency um, into the infrastructure layers. Now, um, on the other hand, when I was at Robert Half and, and we, we did very much what um, Capital One has done, we moved um, from completely on-prem to completely public cloud. And my goal at that time was that, you know, no no developer, no IT person would be left behind. And so um, I spent, you know, I built 18 months into my plans to train folks and to um, give them experience, um, you know, building in the cloud and, and give them experience with, um, you know, how the capabilities of cloud work. And, you know, either way there's, there's an expense and there's churn, um, but, but I can honestly say um, sort of ethically, it felt better to take the 18 months. I, I didn't, I don't always, you know, you don't always have that much time. Um, but ultimately today, um, you at least need to have strong leads in each of your teams who um, understand how to compose from the beginning for the cloud. Um, I don't know if any of the other panelists have some thoughts. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think we, that thing that uh, I would add. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead. I'll let you finish. Um, I think the thing that I would add to what uh, Wendy just shared is, is um, uh, you, you need to be comfortable and uh, you know attain a certain level of automation within your existing portfolio, like you know, be it infrastructure or applications. Because in, I think, uh, you know, as, as Wendy touched on earlier, um, you know, it's different. It's a different mindset, right? Uh, you, you're you're caring less about achieving, you know, the, the perfection, if you will, through, you know, code or making sure everything is bug-free. But you just kind of assume that, you know, things are going to break. And it's okay that it's, it breaks because you have um, a set of tools and automated processes behind the scene to reestablish, you know, uh, uh, um, the application um, and and get it back up and running. Um, I think that's that's a key part of like you know how we uh, we are thinking about uh, you know the, to to make this work from our side. Dalia, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah. So um, when we started on this journey um, of transformation, we were also heavily outsourced. We have gone through a massive effort of insourcing and, and hiring our own um, developers internally. So that was a great opportunity to bring in um, experts um, that uh, have had a lot of experience in the cloud. And we also, in addition to that, went through massive training uh, on cloud skills. We have um, a significant number of our engineers are um, AWS certified. Um, and um, that that really helped us uh, in the migration strategy. Uh, we uh, did not do a lift and shift of applications. In a lot of cases, we actually looked at the architecture and uh, adjusted to the cloud. And it was with the idea in mind as not to rely on the infrastructure in the cloud to be resilient. We expected that it's going to fail and that the applications are able to address um, those uh, infrastructure failures, um, whether it's through auto-scaling or through um, uh, other methods, uh, so that um, uh, you, you're actually building your applications uh, with, uh, with that in mind. Thanks. 
sense. All right, perfect. Thank you, panelists. Moving on to the second question, how do you manage risk of lock-in via diversifying into multiple vendor clouds platforms? How do you maintain consistency, portability of applications and processes across the vendors? Also, just a reminder to the panelists of the content neutrality policy um, to keep things vendor neutral, so referring to an overall category as opposed to a specific product or a specific Got it. Um, so I think I would um, let me let me lead off um, unless another panelist has has um, a thought. Um, you know, it's really for me. There's there's just one of one of three things um, we can do. Um, you can either um, you know like uh, Dahlia had an opportunity to do. You can. Um, purpose-build applications and code sets that can run anywhere. And if you have done that, then, um, you know, then it's not such a stretch to have um, multiple cloud vendors like the Snapchat example I gave. The, you know, they, they make use of uh, both AWS and Google, right? So, so there's, you know, it's being able to run your code in multiple places because you, you were thoughtful about that from the beginning. So that's certainly one choice. If, you're, if you already have legacy and you can't do that, um, then, then there's only another couple of choices. One is using a core cloud OS that can run anywhere and serve all the workloads and apps, um, or having a, you know, a larger and skilled team who um, essentially, you know, can can script, can modify, can move, um, can can you know make that code more portable. But I do believe even in each of the categories where it, where it's you know pure public cloud or where it's you know on-prem infrastructure, having a multi-vendor strategy um, from the very beginning and being able to um, you know negotiate among vendors is you know, absolutely core to your core skills as an IT leader. You, you've got to have that, and you've got to master that that vendor management layer. Um, and so if your code locks you into one vendor, um, that's no good. Um, if your team skills lock you into just one vendor, that's no good. Um, so you've, you've got to adjust your code, or you've got to adjust the skills, or uh, work on the OS, one of those areas to give yourself flexibility. But it's not okay to blame a single vendor strategy on a lack in any of those other areas. I don't, I don't think we keep our jobs for long if, if we're dependent on a, on a vendor because of our technical skills or dependent on a vendor because of our uh, legacy code set. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think for us, architecture, architecture, and architecture are, are probably our primary way to ensure that we that we try to avoid lock-in as much as possible. There are instances where we are utilizing technology stacks that that you know have us um, in a position where we might be locked in, but we we are aggressively attacking those and and that coalition I mentioned earlier. You know that 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 team is one of their big charters is to um, to ensure that that is uh, that anything that needs to be portable can be portable, and anything that is not portable 
has a forward-looking path in case we need to move it to a different vendor. Right, perfect, thank you. Next question, where do you see cloud strategy security evolving over the next five years? That's a great question. I'll take that. So, um, you know, so I guess cloud cloud security strategy is, is relatively new. I'm, the CASBs were probably first talked about four or five years ago. I think um, that those products uh, still have not been widely implemented. I mean, even, even for us, um, we are just now beginning to consider those because um, the services that we have in the cloud have not reached critical mass within the company. So, you know, from a business perspective, it just didn't make sense to invest. Um, I think that um, as we move more and more services and users uh, to, to the cloud, um, that we will need that single pane of glass for visibility and control and identity access management, et cetera. So I would expect that these solutions um, become better. Um, one other thing that I expect to become better um, is, is the ability to move um, our services to less risky uh, public cloud providers. So if you have a private cloud and a public cloud or even multiple public clouds, the, the ability to um, automatically assess risk uh, with each environment and then choose which environment you move, run your services in and automatically move them, I think is going to be key uh, to reduce the overall risk. Yeah, um, and um, while we are on AWS, we are using our um, own VPCs, virtual private clouds within AWS, and we do have uh, security um, implemented in that. We have our own uh, scanning tools, security scanning tools that, that uh, we use there, and where in areas where uh, we did not find um, the right tools to be able to uh, feel good about having our critical applications uh, there from a security standpoint. We've actually de uh, developed in-house uh, uh, tools to ensure that uh, all our security policies and, and, and access management is very well scrutinized and under control. Yeah, I think, Dahlia, you're, you're really, um, you know, hitting the nail on the head there, at least from my perspective. I think what I found is I found some tools and some capabilities. Yes, we use the VPC, um, you know, to, to create a control, an environment that we can control as well. Um, but I think right now the state of the art is that you're still going to have to have your internal team um, creating, scripting, coding some of the capabilities that you need internally. Um, I haven't, uh, you know, like, like John said, um, I haven't found any vendor who's, who is mature and has all the features and functions that we need across clouds. Um, but we do build a bit of our own, and I think you've just got to plan to be in that mode. Um, generally, when you're in public cloud, and definitely when you're in multi-cloud. I think the other challenge to uh you know on top of everything that's uh, been said is um you know a lot of the tools and vendors that you're currently using to monitor and um you know just kind of keep an eye on your 
current environment don't play well as you move workloads uh, to the cloud, right? Like uh, your Tivoli, your, you know, HP OVO stuff, um, those things, you know, when you when you move uh, a particular application to the cloud, you it probably doesn't make sense for you to you know, redeploy those agents, right? Uh, to uh, um, to monitor that uh, that application. So you definitely have to you know use things and and you know figure out what what would uh, what are some of the new tools and capabilities that you need to bring on board in order to you know to continue to monitor and have assurance that uh, things are are still um, running well and safe as it moves to the cloud. Yeah, I think um, I think. Vendors need to get um, cost models uh, better in line as well. At the same time, I will say that um, we have lately found some real innovative vendors, and so there are some folks who are innovating in this space. And um, you know, I think that's a great thing about uh, public cloud generally is it's really pushing the pace of innovation. And you know, when we have a need, there's there are usually some. Um, you know, hungry upstarts in addition to the traditional vendors who are, um, you know, working to, to find solutions to these common problems. So I am encouraged. I have, I'm, I'm not naming vendors, but I have found some um, newer tools that are, that are uh, pretty slick. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Wendy. Um, and moving on to the final question. This is coming from an attendee who is in financial services. When developing a cloud strategy for my bank, is there anything I need to be aware of to avoid any negative issues with the FDIC examiners? Um, you need to be able, uh, you know, being in a, in a, in a bank, um, you're probably familiar with um, all the reviews that you have to go through with regulators. And uh, one of the things that we had to work through um, with AWS is how do you um, provide the ability to audit and, and be able to give um, the regulators the, the evidence that they need, that you're uh, very responsible with the data and, and be able um, to have that, and that was something that we worked very closely with Amazon on to make sure that those capabilities get built in, and um, and the the logging and cap- uh, and, and auditing um, capability um, became um, available. So that was one of the biggest uh, things that we had to tackle uh, before we were able to move in that direction. So, so part of what I heard in in your reply was that. The vendors that you work with need to be willing to work with you and open enough to to take that journey with you. Um, that's good advice for all of us, even if we're not in the in the financial sector. But of particular importance in in highly regulated sectors is um, as public cloud vendors in particular move away from that um, consumer start and into the enterprise start. Um, you know, they have to be willing to work with us as experts in our fields and, and be willing to, to, you know, add functionality or be more open. And I think, you know, seeing a vendor demonstrate that, whoever that is, is, um, is really, really key. It's going to be a partnership. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, most of the time, besides architecture and security, I think the other long leg in the cloud engagement is, is likely going to be supply chain and, and legal, right? Like that that 
negotiation, if you will, between your organization and, and the cloud provider might be, you know, months, uh, you know, perhaps even like, you know, years long, like to get all the terms and, and conditions, right, that both parties are, are comfortable to. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community for resources at next.nutanix.com. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Angelo Luciani, and I'm hoping to meet many of you at .next taking place in Nice, France from November 7th to 9th. As always, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week.